Florida by Barry Trammell. Barry, uh, how's it going so far? Well, it's nice. Nice breezy weather. 70s and nice breeze and beautiful spot of the earth. A little too crowded for me. <laughs> but outside of that, nice nice place to be, to, especially with a big ball game coming up. Yeah, it's been a uh, been an interesting trip already. A little strange being away uh, on Christmas yesterday, but uh, had uh, had a good day yesterday overall. But today, time to get back to work. And it started bright and early talking to uh, Oklahoma's offensive coordinator, co-offensive coordinator, Cale Gundy, defensive coordinator, Ruffin McNeil, and, and several of the players. Same thing on the other side with Alabama's uh, offensive and defensive coordinators and uh, three players from each side of the ball. What was uh, maybe the, the, the number one thing that stood out to you about uh, Wednesday morning's interview sessions? No, Kyler Murray. <laughs> Oklahoma quarterback. Was a no-show. Supposed to be here. Second straight year missed uh, his interview session at the uh, at the national uh, semifinals. Baker Mayfield did last year. He did because he was sick, sick as in had the group. <laughs> Kyler Murray missed because he was sick, sick of interviews. That's clearly <laughs> what the case is. So I thought that was a very poor look for the Sooners, um, for the for the quarterback and Heisman Trophy winner to not show up for his. Uh, media availability. Uh, Tua Tagovola was here, um, so you know I, I, di- I didn't think that was a good look. Yeah, and I think uh, I can't remember who it was if it was Andy Stables talked about Jalen Hurts last year was was really sick as well. Uh, or I can't remember if it was this time or uh, for the national championship game. He uh, came to the interview session and then went out and missed practice because he was so ill the same day. So a, a little bit different uh, different vibe around uh, both these programs. But we didn't hear from Kyler Murray. We heard from uh, Trey Sermon, uh, Ben Powers, Austin Seibert, uh, Amani Bledsoe, Kenneth Murray. Uh, anything intriguing come out of those guys? Um, not on the OU side. Uh, we had some good conversation, both of us, with Trey Sermon about what a tough physical tailback he is and how he's a little bit, you know, he's sort of an SEC type tailback. LSU, yeah. Georgia, Alabama would love to have Trey Sermon. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I'm going to be writing about for uh, for Thursday's Oklahoma. Yeah. So that's, you know, that was cool. Um, outside of that, nothing, nothing uh, revelating. I mean, um, the Sooners brought. Two defenders and um, three offensive players, right? Powers. Yeah. Well, if you count Cybert as an offensive player, I don't. So then we brought. Yeah, that's right. Powers yeah. and Sermon. Two so offensive players. Two offense and two defense. Yeah. And a kicker. Alabama brought three offense and three defense. Um, and they brought their best players on both sides of the ball. Yeah, they did. So Alabama won the press conference. <laughs> Let's just be honest. They won the press conference. So. Um, you know, we'll. I, I don't know if that that means, but nobody really said anything. Um, you know, I talked to Kale Gundy some about Kyler Murray and what a phenomenal find it is to have back-to-back quarterbacks like this. So, um, you know, press conferences don't win games, but uh, sh- certainly the national media was disappointed, and some of the local media. You know, like the guy from the Palm Beach Post was here to write a Kyler Murray column. Then he finds out it 
<laughs> you know, right when OU arrives, wait, there's no Kyler Murray. So yeah, that that kind of thing is bad PR, and really needs to be addressed by the by the Sooners. Yeah, we'll we'll see if it is. But uh, one of the most interesting things that I heard uh, from the interview session is talking to Ruffin McNeil, Oklahoma's defensive coordinator. He said that Nick Saban was one of the first guys that he went and visited after getting the head coaching job at Texas Tech, and talked about the at uh, tech you mean uh no at east, I mean, carolina, east carolina excuse okay me. east carolina uh, yeah after he left tech uh and talked about one saban's willingness to open his doors and invite a- an outsider in but two what he learned from nick saban about coverages um that's what he said was probably the number one thing he took away is nick saban's mind as it relates to uh you know the secondary and and those guys, I, I thought that that was really intriguing. Um, maybe the most interesting thing I heard from from the OU side. Yeah, that is in, that is interesting. Of course, a lot of people go to Nick Saban <laughs> for guidance and uh, illumination and all kinds of things. Um, even on his own staff, you know. So he's clearly the guy you try to learn from. In the same way that in the NFL, you try to mimic Bill Belichick. People on the college level want to mimic. Nick Saban and his phenomenal success. Five <laughs> national titles in the last uh, nine years. It could be six in ten yeah. if they win these two games. Speaking of Nick Saban, I think this is something you're writing. I think it's for tomorrow. Uh, it's about working for Nick Saban. <laughs> I thought one of their coordinators had a, a fascinating little anecdote about that. Yeah, I mean, it's nuts. I ask uh, that's defensive coordinator Tosh uh, Lapoy. Is that how you say his name? I think Lepoy? so. Anyway, asked him about his aha moment working for Nick Saban. And he basically said, you know, in, in summer camp, uh, Nick Saban's attention to detail and his uh, intensity really surprised LaPoy because he said, I wasn't used to that. It was not August camp with the Crimson Tide veterans. It was a kid's football <laughs> camp, including kids as young as seven years old. And he said, we even had kids in the tr- seven-year-olds in the training room. He said, that's when my eyes got open that, hey, this guy, this guy means business all the time, not just when they're preparing to play Auburn. You know, when they're, when they're, when they're putting eight-year-olds through drills, he's, he's serious. So um, working for Nick Saban is a unique experience. It's clearly not for everybody. But, Ask uh, Lane Kiffin. Yeah, but it clearly is – um, fantastic for certain personality types. And, you know, they have huge turnover because some people don't last and because lots of guys get better jobs. Lane Kiffin among them. Uh, you know, Although Lane Kiffin was out before he got the other job. Well, Let's remember that. No, well, he, no, he got the job. Okay, that's he right. He got and the job they... at Florida Atlantic and stayed on, but he wasn't all in and Saban said, you know, we don't, we don't really need you. Um, so he moved on for the national title game. But a lot of guys do get head coaching jobs. Jeremy Pruitt, D coordinator, last yeah. year. Uh, the year before, Kirby Smart gets a Georgia job. Last year, Jeremy Pruitt gets the Tennessee job. This year, offensive coordinator Michael Oxley gets the Maryland job. <laughs> so if you want to be a head coach in the Power Five, you know, a really good way to do it is be a Nick Saban coordinator. Yeah, it works out pretty well. But a lot of hubbub about the Kyler Murray uh, missing we talked about that earlier but Barry something that I think is more important for the game is Marquise Brown's status 
Kel Gundy and everybody else that we've asked, including up to and including Lincoln Riley, has been very reticent to say anything of substance about it. What's the sense you get about Marquise Brown and, and his status well, for Saturday? Well, I assume he's not going to play, but I also think there's reason to, you know, hope hope to hang on to is that if he is going to play, they still wouldn't say anything. They like, yeah. you know, their only advantage is keeping Alabama in the dark. So there's no advantage to telling anybody what's going to happen. Yeah. So I would assume he's not going to play. That injury looked pretty bad. But we'll see. You know, if he if he's anywhere close to 100%, it's a huge lift for Oklahoma. Yeah, it is. And and I think even if he's not quite 100%, it helps them just because of the threat of him being there. We talk so much about that, and I, I talked today about that with Kale Gundy and um, – Trey Sermon and a couple of the Alabama defenders even, the the threat of what Kyler Murray can do and how that changes the way defenses can attack them. I think it's the same thing with Marquise Brown. Because of the threat he can be, it affects so much how they're defended. You have to, you just, he, he distorts the defense because of his speed. You have to make all kinds of uh, allocations for that, and it opens other holes. If he's not playing, you don't have to play so deep. You don't have to be so cognizant of the short cross. You know, if you throw, throw that four-yard short cross to anybody else, you don't really care. You can just run up and tackle him. But if you throw it to Marquise Brown and he gets to the corner before you get to tackle him, all of a sudden it's, it's as good as a 40-yard bomb. So, yeah, he changes everything. Um, advantage Sooners if he's anywhere close to healthy. Advantage Crimson Tide if he's not. Yeah, I would uh, absolutely agree with that. Uh Barry, to me, the matchup that's most interesting in this game is Oklahoma's offensive line versus Alabama's defensive line, especially Quentin Williams. He's been uh, the best, uh, certainly the best defensive lineman in college football, perhaps the best defender in college football, period. Uh, what do you think about that matchup and, and that Quentin Williams versus especially Creed Humphrey there in the middle of redshirt freshman? Uh, getting thrown right into that, but also Ben Powers and Drew Samia have to deal with him too. Well, here's what's lost with the Tua revolution and the spread revolution. Everybody talks about, you know, this kind of quarterback, this kind of offense for Nick Saban is the sum of all fears, and that's right. And Alabama clearly has, you know, a fabulous offense, 40, 50 points a game, all that stuff. But when you keep talking about that, you tend to think the Alabama defense is, you know, falling off. And I'm not saying it's as good as the vintage Alabama defenses. Frankly, I don't know if it is or not. Somebody more expert than me can say that. But the truth is, it still remains a fabulous defense by 2018 standards. Yeah. So, um, this idea that, you know, it's it's automatically going to be a – you know, a, a run-and-gun game, you know, 56-52, is not – that's not grounded in reality. Um, Sooners likely will be able to score a bunch because they score on anybody. But it's not going to come easy. Alabama presents a fabulous defense, and it will make it tough on Kyler Murray. And, you know, we'll see if, if they can score enough to, to make this a game in the fourth quarter. But I think they're going to have to. And there won't be anything easy about it. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I was 
you know, I wrote about Alabama's defense today uh, in, in the paper, and I think somebody mistook that. I think we uh, labeled as their defense sort of gets overlooked, and I, I don't think it gets overlooked by those who are really involved in college football or people who are really paying attention to Oklahoma and their opponents or Alabama uh, and what they've done because the numbers are still really, really strong. I think they had the number one defense when you adjust for garbage time situations, so late touchdowns and blowouts get thrown out, things like that. Uh, But when you adjust for number of plays in a game and the garbage time situations, Alabama's defense was number one this year uh, by a couple metrics. So their defense is fantastic. They just, because of what they've been able to do on the offensive side of the ball and how that sort of revolutionized uh, not only Alabama, but sort of the SEC, I think that the thought process about their offenses have changed a little bit this year uh, because of that. And I think that that's led to some people maybe not talking about how good Alabama's defense is uh, nationally. Yeah, in. You know, they've got Quill, uh, Quill Williams, the uh, Outland Trophy winner. You mentioned probably the best defender in the nation. A typical Alabama great defensive lineman. And they've got some other things. The, the, the thing that have sort of skewered the idea is Alabama's giving up more points than ever, more yards than ever before. Well, they're doing that. Everybody's giving up more points. And it just shows that they are not – that Alabama is not immune to some of the cosmic forces afflicting college football now. But that doesn't mean they're still not relatively the best around. So in the same way that, I don't know, Clemson, um, some others, I don't know who else plays great defense. People say Michigan. Uh, I think Michigan State plays great defense. Um, you know, a few others. Alabama does it as well. Uh, Oklahoma's hope is this. Georgia had a legitimately fabulous defense last year. And the Sooners put up 38 in regulation on the Bulldogs. They're going to need at least that, maybe more, to, to, beat the, uh, to beat the Crimson Tide. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think it's important for Oklahoma also to start quickly in that game. They started quickly last year. Just because of the surprise factor, as much as you prepare for Kyler Murray and the Oklahoma offense, uh, it's a different animal when you get out there on the field with it. So I think it's important for Oklahoma to get off to a hot start, sort of punch them in the mouth and overwhelm them with the differences from this offense and any other in college football. You might have to weather some stuff, uh, certainly in the second half, as we saw last year with the way that they struggled after halftime as Georgia found its footing but it's really important for Oklahoma to start out quickly and make that uh, that quick impression. Yeah, you know, we've seen some games. Coming from behind is very difficult. In a lot of ways, college football at this level has become match play golf. There's only so many holes. There's only so many possessions. And it really is like one up, two up, one up, one down, that kind of thing. You score so much, you know, it, it's not going to be a game where there's no chance 
there's no chance this is like a 16 to 13 game where one play determines it. The only, only way one big play determines this game is if it comes right at the end of a tight game. Right. So you got to just – you just got to score. You know, and every, every possession's a birdie hole. And if you don't birdie the birdie holes, golfers will tell you you're in trouble. So, you know, you just got to – you know, to me the best way – you talked about the quick start. The quick start would put a some pressure on Bama – there's some pressure on being Alabama. Um, you're supposed to be unbeatable. You're supposed to be impenetrable. But if somebody can hit you in the mouth, you know, put up some quick touchdowns, three touchdowns in the first four possessions, all of a sudden doubt starts creeping in. Hey, this really is going to be a shootout. Hey, they are really going to score on us. Then the advantage could swing to Oklahoma. But if this is, you know, midway through the second quarter, if it's 17-7 Alabama, that's just going to embolden the Crimson Tide. It needs to be 24-21. And, you know, that's what happened five years ago with Trevor – or four years ago uh, – five years ago with Trevor Knight. You know, that game did not start great. Alabama gets a ball, touchdown. OU gets a ball, interception. But after that, bang, 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 Trevor Knight got hot. Sooner scored three quick touchdowns. And Alabama sort of got punched in the mouth and said, oh, wait, 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 this is not supposed to happen. That needs to to be a similar script come Saturday night. Yeah, and we'll uh, get into some more stuff the next couple of days. We're going to do a daily podcast here leading up to the game. But, uh, Barry, Oklahoma's defense, uh, so much has been talked about how, how poorly they performed all season. We've talked about how they've rebounded a little bit there late, especially with the two uh, – scooping scores against West Virginia, although they gave up a lot of points and yards in that game. They did some things well in the Texas game. Um, how much better do you think that they could have gotten? And do you get the sense for, for any changes uh, that they've made over the last month or even their just their ability to make a few more changes than they were able to do sort of on the fly over those last six games of the regular season. Well, I, I like what they did late, which is I think they did their best to get the 11 best players on the f- field. Caleb yeah. Kelly started playing along with Curtis Bolton. Uh, Trey Norwood, uh, Trey Brown, Parnell Motley, all three on the field at the same time. But yeah, one of them, when they Norwood, Norwood usually in safety. the slot. Yeah. yeah. So they they said, you know what, let's, let's quit worrying about scheme so much and let's just – Let's find our 11 best players and get them on the field. And there was marginal improvement. Yeah, it I mean, wasn't. They, yeah, they didn't become the, the steel <laughs> curtain. But what they did was they started making some big plays. And, you know, here's the deal. If you can't stop them, take it from them. Yeah. They get the two defensive touchdowns against West Virginia. They get the big safety against Texas. If they could make a big play, you know, we talk about uh, the Sugar Bowl and Trevor Knight and all that. Oklahoma won that Sugar Bowl because they got four turnovers. They they took the ball yeah. away from Alabama four times, once for a touchdown. Yeah, it was uh, Gino, Gino Grissom, Grissom got right? the striker yeah. hit striker, AJ McCarron yeah. at the end, um, and then uh, Gino carries it into the end zone. If they can get some turnovers, all of a sudden that changes the game a lot. So that's key. If this turnover battle is even, I don't see any way OU wins. Um, you know that's that, that's how. Uh, Texas was able to knock off the Sooners uh, back in October as they won the turnover battle. So that's how an underdog often can can even things up and make no mistake, the Sooners are an underdog. 
Yes, they are. And we'll, like I, I said, we're going to get into some more conversation. Uh, several other things we want to talk about the next couple of days, but we're going to wrap it up uh, for now as we got to get out to uh, practice for Oklahoma, get to see uh, just a few minutes of it. Maybe we'll see if Marquise Brown is on the field. My guess is they're not going to show us anything during that time that's going to lead to any big revelations, but we'll see. But we'll be right back here tomorrow morning. We'll be uh, on newsok.com every day and every morning in the Oklahoma with the best OU coverage anywhere. Thanks for joining us.